Welcome to the Flamcast. We're in the middle of my second favourite week in the cycling year. Uh, the week between the Amstel Gold Race, which I love, but which I particularly loved this year. Uh, we're just past Flesh Wallone and we've got Liège-Bastogne-Liège at the weekend, as well as a load of kind of warm-up tours going on. Um, you've got the Tour of the Alps, uh, we've had the Presidential Tour of Turkey. Uh, there's a lot going on just now, Derek. There is, and uh, I suppose we can look at them in kind of on their own, but I suppose even if you're talking about Amstel and Flesh, you kind of have to go back and look at Brabant's Appeal as well and compare all, th- you look at all three together. And as you said, uh, Tour of Alps has gone on. We've got uh, Froome after dropping in there for um, a bit more riding. Um, we've got Nibali tuning up. We've got Micah there as well. And we've got some... New... The young Sky guys killing it. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, although I do wonder, did Nibali hand- give that stage away this- today? I don't think Nibali gives a toss about winning yet. I think he's there just purely to, to you know get his form yep. right on track for the Giro. Um, I think if it had been a stage of the Giro, we would have seen him fight a bit harder. Yep. And, you know, Theo Gegenhart might have had a slightly more difficult time taking the stage. But that doesn't take away anything from him. His first professional win during the Tour of the Alps earlier on, he's got his second one in the same race. Yeah, no, very good. And I suppose as well, even... Uh, outside of that, we've got other little kind of undercurrents going on. We've got um, Sagan pulling out of Liège, Van Avermaet adding Liège to his calendar. Um, you know, there's, 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 there's a lot of stuff going on. You've still got Froome not hitting good good form. You've got, um, we've had Campenarts who completed the, the hour record. Um, you know, there's, there's, it feels as if we haven't, we, we, we only spoke last week or, you know, the week before, you know, it feels as if there's half half a season after happening in a, in a few weeks already. I've I'm, I'm got a talk lined up with my mate Steve McCaw, who I think still holds the Veterans Outdoor record. Um, won the Scottish 50 and 146, you know, seriously fast guy. He's making another comeback now to do the Masters team pursuit. I mean, he just kind of keep away from the sport. And he's got a lot of analysis of camping out, so I'll, I'll talk to Steve about that. But he was uh, saying to me in messages today, he reckons the next person to get the air record could be John Archibald of Scotland. Uh, because Archibald did a local race here, the two of the Meldons at the weekend. I was talking today to one of the guys in the following car, and he was doing 41 mile an hour in the flat. Yeah, um, and there's there's talks of those guys actually heading over to, uh, you can pronounce it for me, Aqui, Aqui. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce it, but the high altitude place. Yes, the the, the track at high altitude uh, that Campen Arts used, and they're looking to. I I believe their 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 pipe dream is to do individual team and hour record in the same kind of not session, but go over there for a, a set period of time. And um, he's living down in uh, Derby with all the other guys mm-hmm. from uh, team. What. Yep. Team Hoob what bike, yeah. So the, the the aim for those guys would be to go over there to high altitude and do individual pursuit record, team pursuit record, and the hour record. Yeah, they're moving the goalposts. So, um, they, they've done what everybody laughed at Team Sky for doing, uh, which is they've essentially ignored everything that's gone before and started for first principles, and they're just setting the world on fire in terms of endurance team trialing. They are, and as well as that, they're so... Um, I don't want to start using software terms, but they're 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 so agile, so flexible that if someone comes up with something, that there's no one rigid saying no. We've done this for twenty years, and the 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 pedal has to go half a turn. They will go and they'll go look, and they're all science based as well. They will go mm-hmm. look at the science and they'll go, okay, yeah, 
if we use this skin suit in this manner, it makes us, it gives us a two watt advantage. Okay, let's yeah. do let's do that. And you know, they they, they do base it on so it's not so much. Did we see the mar- the aggregation of marginal gains? No, we don't, John. We just we we we, we, we will say the test the testing of theories and, and properties of science from developed th- theoretical minds. Right. Anyway, let's get to let's get to the racing. And there's there's two names I want to talk about, although we'll cover, of course, far more than that. But the first is is Matthew Van Der Poel. I mean. He's a, a Sagan-esque talent, 24 years old. Um, I saw somebody have a stat today that Julian Alaphilippe has won every road race that he's turned up at, you know, on the start line this year, except the ones where Matthew van der Poel turned up. And Matthew van der Poel's won all of them. He has. Um, and I, I, I take you back to the start of the season and you were going, you know, Wood van Aert, Wood van Aert. And I said clearly that van der Poel looks like the, the sort of person that will win big before van Aert. So I think um, you owe me a fiver on that one. Um, yeah, I'll give you that, mate. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, Wood van Aert, was, it's been a magnificent debut in the road last year and again this year. But Matthew van der Poel, I mean, really good grandparents. He's, uh, or his dad was, he, he won. I'm still gold before. His granddad, Raymond Poulidor, who, if you take away Merckx, might have been the dominant rider of his era. Yeah. So, you know, he's got the genes, but he just seems to enjoy racing a bike, and that's a joy to watch. It is, it is. And look, <clears throat> I suppose there's an element of me that he was, it was fun. There's, there's been some hype around the Amstel Gold win. Um, and look, I tweeted out today, and I, I, I've been slightly facetious. You know, people were saying it's the greatest race they've ever seen. It's the greatest race of all time. It's the greatest comeback of all time. It wasn't even the greatest Amstel Gold on Sunday. <laughs> the women, the women's race was a far better race as a racing spectacle. Um, I think it was a an unbelievable win by Van der Poel, and huge kudos for him. And it's a fantastic win for him. But it, it, no, the hype, the hype around the race is definitely not deserved. I think. Um, I suppose comparing with Sagan and all that sort of stuff is, is very obvious, but at the same time, if you look at Sagan at the same age, he'd been on the podium of two monuments. He'd won two green jerseys in the Tour of France. He had a couple of stages in the Tour of France. He probably, I think he had stages in Tour of California. He had a Het Vauk. He had an E3. You know, he, he had a, even at that age, uh, Sagan had huge palmares. Um, I suppose that the, the thing that we we can't see with van der Poel is he's only dipping in and dipping out he probably has maybe it's a hobby yeah he only has about 20 race days maybe even a bit less i think 15 you know he's he's got a very few race days so far this year um where he goes from here i don't know he's a raw rare talent and they do need to be minded and looked after um and i do hope that we see him more often on the road um but the world is the world is his oyster literally um and it's going to be interesting to see what plays out over the next uh, couple of years for him i know his dad adri was saying you know he's He's got a contract. He's got a contract. He's happy where he is. And then uh, I was listening to Kelly and um, on your sport on Sunday, and you know the the talk from Van der Poel Senior had changed. You know, oh well, yes, he has a contract, but you know, teams, you know, there can be an argument. Things can fall out. Things can change. I don't even want to think about the amount of money that must be being thrown at him. Yeah, and the the, the I think he's got a contract till twenty twenty three. The word is that he, uh, he's got an agreement with Corinthian Circus to build a team around him. Yeah, a world tour team. And I, I could see that earning a lot of loyalty. But, I mean, the other thing that really struck me about him is how screwed on his head is. He's had this goal of the 2020 Olympics, 
for ages. I think a lot of people would have been distracted by that sheer amount of money that's being flung at them after these results. I mean, Brabant's Peel was, for me, almost more impressive the way he finished that off it than was. the catch in the Amstel. So he must have all that money, but he's still going, nope, these are my goals. This is the targets I've set. And, uh, you know, I'm off. And I think... Um, if Corrington Circus had taken up an invitation to Roubaix, I don't think it's any hype to say he might have bloody won that as well. No, uh, I, yeah, without without a doubt, I think uh, the way it played out, um, he he would have been there thereabouts. I don't think he would definitely have been a force in it. Mm-hmm. And I suppose the other thing that's playing into his into his hands quite a bit this year is that the other shining lights have really been off. Van Avermaet's been off. Sagan has been off. I think in this in this week long. It's a Brabant, uh, Amstel, Flesh. Um, I know he didn't ride Flesh, but those I'm just I'm 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 picking on those three races. I think um, Alaphilippe hasn't been at his best. I know he won on Flesh uh, uh, there yesterday, but I think um, the 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 crash in Torino took it out of him. Mm-hmm. I I also think in in uh, Amstel, I think he was with the wrong person because I. Uh, I think his stick is, start, is is starting to wear off on breakaway companions. Um, if you listen to Fulsang after Amstel, you know he was saying that uh, Alaphilippe was saying, "Oh, he was tired and he couldn't come through," and he was, but he was saying the same sort of stuff in um, Strada Bianchi, and he rolled away from Fulsang and Strada Bianchi. So, yeah, Fulsang was and that th- would have been going through Fulsang's head. Yeah, uh, Fulsang wasn't taking any of his shit, like you know. So, I think in some way, shape, or form, Alaphilippe has Alaphilippe himself. Um, he he need he need to look at what Sagan did with Dillier for Roubaix. You know they worked equally, they worked fairly, they worked together, and he he gave him the he he dangled the opportunity for Dillier to win, um, mm. and, and kept him there and didn't you know didn't do him out of anything. Wasn't screwing out of his turns. I wasn't trying to you know he he tried to go at one stage and make a break that didn't work. Okay, let's work together and that's that. And they got to the, got to the end. I think. Alaphilippe wasn't willing to do his work and Fulsang definitely wasn't going to be willing to do his work. And that then fed into uh, the catch. And also, you go back and you look at Brabant's appeal. Um, if you watch the footage, you can see Alaphilippe, he's pushing Wellens into the line at times and the four of them are away. He's skipping his turn here and there. Uh, he's taking drinks out of the bottle to miss his turn. So I think over these three races, I think uh, Alaphilippe hasn't been at his best and probably has helped play into the hands of uh, Van der Poel winning so convincingly and winning so well. Well, I was amazed that he didn't come round Van der Poel at uh, Brabant Peel because Van der Poel just went to the front and just rode. Yeah. And, and, and nobody could come past him. No, and if I think uh, Nick Squillari, uh, the guy behind Velo Kicks, tweeted out there yesterday, the day before, the last four, five, six K of uh, Van der Poel's ride um, from... I'm still going. The last, I think it was the last six k. I think it's like two hundred and fifty, four hundred and fifty watts or something, and a peak of fourteen hundred. Yeah. Uh, a heart rate was one hundred and eighty five. It didn't drop below one hundred and eighty five. Like so, it was it was full glass. But you even you, you look at the two sprints from Brabant's appeal and look at the the sprint from Ansel Gold. He goes about the three hundred mark in both of them, and he just goes and he 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 doesn't. He's not like a Gronigan who. It's diesel, you know, he just gets a kick and he gets a gap, and he might, he doesn't get any faster, but 
uh, Van der Poel just has such a snap, um, yeah. you know, and he's gone. And I, th- I thought everyone in the the, the finale of Amstel, uh, Kiewitowski, Fulsang, Alaphilippe, they again in some way, shape, or form they can they contrive to f- mess themselves over. The minute Kiewitowski came up, I know he tried to kick and go, um, he just didn't have the legs. The other two guys, they'd been dicking around for the last four or five K they sh- one of them should have had a kick um, mm-hmm. they didn't they waited they waited they waited and you can see Van der Poel is full gas past uh, Alaphilippe before he even gets started like any Alaphilippe doesn't even get on to Simon Clark's wheel like I think Clark was the only one who was awake to what was happening yeah I, I think he was and I, look oh I'm going to choke on these words fair play to EF they they wrote <laughs> they wrote they wrote Amstel very very they've wrote this classics campaign very very well um, yeah. hats off to them you know look they had uh, Woods away they've got with... a tour of Flanders and it, they've looked like they could have a winner in most of the other races yeah they didn't look as if they, they were a team that looked into the Flanders win you know go back Betty All was he made he almost made the selection at Milan San Remo he was just a little bit eager there if he if he held that attack and went with that group who knows what could have happened there? He could have had a top five result. Uh, Flanders, the, he was the strongest man on the day, and they had other riders there. And again, in Amstel on, on Sunday, they had riders there, and they played their cards very, very well. And um, you know, the only thing I think that we probably didn't see from the Van der Poel group was how good that chase was, um, because you could there's see very little coverage of it. Yeah, there's very little coverage of it, and you know, it's kind of very fragmented. There are narrow roads there at that last section, um, and I'd say you know there was was there two or maybe three uh, EF drop packs there, so they would have been working fairly hard as well um, for the finish. And you know, look, uh, the the bigger group obviously enough when the two lads were dicking around and were tightening tightening shoes and empty, emptying water bottles. When you got a good group working like that in any race, a one minute gap is not a hell of a lot to bring back. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say, having watched all of these races, is I was really upset when they moved the finish of the Amstel away from the Cowburg, and I still think that's a great finish, because the women's race um, with Cassia Nivea Doma, which I still have a hellish time pronouncing. Just call she won. Cassia Finney, it's easier. Uh, well, when she won, a brilliant win with that false flat after the Cowberg. I was really cross when they moved the finish further away from the top of the Cowberg. I was wrong there because that false flat really added a bit of tension after the Cowberg. I was really upset when they missed the Cowberg out entirely in the last lap and gave the new finish. I was wrong there because we've had great finishes in the new finish both years. Um, but I think now, after watching the last week's races, they need to do something similar with Flesh Wallone. It's getting really fucking dull. I mean, everybody knows almost to the metre where the winning move's going to go. And we watched, and I bet you were the same. You watched Fuglesang jump and you thought, Jakob, that's a a good idea, but you're far too early, mate. Somebody (laughs) will get in your wheel and come past you. Uh, Yeah, and look, I was in work um, yesterday and um, I I couldn't find a stream online, so I pulled out Sky Go, um, turned on Sky Go with 3K to go and got it all perfectly. Didn't miss a thing. No, I mean, you only need to watch the last, what, 400 metres? Yeah, I'd say the last 400 metres, like just a little bit of position at the, positioning at the bottom and then the rest of the climb. But I suppose uh, in a short semi-classic like that, John, I think it's okay. It's in some way, shape or form, it's a little bit okay. I would like to see him maybe pin a couple of little stronger climbs to tin out the group a little bit because mm-hmm. you, are, you are getting a big group coming to the, coming to the, the finale. Just that little bit of... Will they? Won't they stay away? Or can we tin the group? Kind of 
exercise. I think it's a race that's been ruined is too strong a word because I still love it. And the Mur de Huy is one of the best places on the planet to watch a bike race in person. The atmosphere is amazing. But I think the strength and depth in the peloton compared to the days of Kelly or Maurizio Fondriest or any of those guys, the strength and depth means it's not hard enough to make the selection before the final climb of the Moor. Yeah, you know, so you're coming in with groups of 30, 40 guys, uh, whereas before you used to come in with maybe four or five. Yeah, and that makes it a less entertaining race for me because you're essentially just waiting for a, a shootout at the top of the, the moor. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. And just a, a little point you made there. I, I know we've still got the Austrian doping scandal hanging over the sport and hanging over a lot of other sports, but I do think, um, yeah. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm basing this off a few things, but I'm, I'm basing it off what I've seen and what I'm experiencing, and what people I'm reporting to me and everything else. I do think the sport is becoming more professional, and um, not more professional, but the riders are actually treating it as more professional. And uh, I think a lot of riders in the last maybe eighteen months, two years, have seen good riders not getting contracts, teams folding, and stuff like that happening. And I think riders are training you know they're, they're 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 training better they're being smarter they're better tools for training better tools for training all that sort of stuff i think there's i don't think there's anyone you know soft pedaling anymore or you know hanging down the back of a, a peloton for for three months of the year and trying to pick off an odd race here and there i think everyone these days is turning up to race and turning up to win and turning up to do a good job if it's leading out john or it's leading out Derek, i'm going to be in the best condition for myself to do that job so i'm valued so i will have a contract next year and i mm. think i think i do think that has does from listening to stuff over the last while and talking to other pros and talking to ex-pros and everything else um i do think that that has happened and i as you said the level just seems to be there that you're now seeing instead of a select group of five or six ten you're now seeing a group of 20 or 30 and sure enough yeah the guy there there is a bit of a difference between the guy first and 30th but there's it's it's only a one percent or two percent different and that'll only tell on on a mirror or something like that but yeah I do think that the level has gone up over the last while and people may snort at that and say oh yeah Derek you know that the level has gone up because of doping or whatever else or because of what you know but I, I do I do think there's a lot of riders now that are more focused and are less likely to uh, waste time and you know I I I, I look I, I've been listening to Adam Blyde's podcast lately and I, I, I think an Adam Blyde wouldn't get a contract now at world tour level mm-hmm. uh, um, and I think there's a lot of riders now that are a lot more smarter and everything else and a lot stronger. And I suppose in other senses, stronger riders and more powerful riders, um, if they're basing it off calibration, training watts, all that sort of stuff, some of them don't actually have the skill set that an Adam Bloyd has and that's why he survived so long. They don't have the skill set to ride, hide themselves out of the wind, be in the right place. I'm thinking of, I'm not picking him out, but a, a Roger Lake, for instance, who came in late from skiing and stuff like that you know a uh, woods who came in from running and stuff like that the, those guys have a very st- steep learning curve they, they have the tools they have the fitness they have the ability but they don't have the the innate skill set of a Valverde at uh, a Bloyd uh, yeah. Sagan you know to hide for 95% of the day and pop their head out in the 5% that they're needed yeah no, I completely agree with that um one other thing that really struck me, actually, I mean, there's there's more to talk about this week than, than we can fit into one podcast, but Peter Sagan has looked 
poor to me all spring and I've said to Scott, I've said to subscribers, I think he's been riding on class as opposed to form. He looked terrible in the Amstel Gold. Um, he looked terrible in Flesh Wallone. And you know, some folk were saying to me, oh, he's just riding it for training. He just looked bad. I see today, or was it yesterday, he withdrew yes, from Liège, yeah. which I was really good because it looked to me like Bora were just running him into the ground. But one side effect of him having problems, which may be down to his personal life or you know just having a bad year, it happens to the best of them. You know, even Kelly had a bad year, I would imagine. Uh, although that's hard to imagine. But it's shown the team are far more than I expected. When he went there, I thought they would have spent so much money on him, they wouldn't have the you know the wherewithal to build a well-rounded team. But the team are taking victories without him. And people like Max Schachman and, and Amstel are stepping up and filling the gap when Peter's not able. They are. I, 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 will, I will defend Bora in one sense. Peter rides when Peter rides. Peter, I, I, I would say somehow that at Bora, if uh, Peter said he was going to ride the Giro, the Tour, and the Vuelta, yes, Peter. Uh, uh, you know he is that 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 stronger personality. He is that stronger rider. He is that marquee rider. He is that patron, whatever you want to say. If Peter wants to do ride the World Track Championships, yes, Peter. No, Peter. Once in a generation talent, what else yeah. are you going to do? Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I don't think in in some ways or respects that Bora or Milken or they needed him to ride this or they needed him to ride that. Um, they have... I'm This season, they've really turned around. They've had some quite notable misses. Uh, Leopold Koenig, for instance, mm-hmm. has completely disappeared. Uh, I'd forgotten about him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, he had got a three-year contract, came back from Sky, uh, rode a few races and hasn't been seen since. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't want to disparage him, but poor Pete Kenna, um, you know, looked like a last-chance saloon and it, the, the chance went for him. Mm-hmm. Micah, I never, I understood what Micah did. Uh, but I never really liked him for his attitude and the way he treated his team leader when he shafted um, Contador a few years back. Yeah. And I always felt that in a team situation, you could never trust a bastard like that. You could never, you could never trust him to do the exact job you were he was supposed to do. He might try and do something for himself, and, he, and I think he's he's been over. You know, his his shtick was kind of that Alaphilippe thing at the Tour of France get into the mountainous breakaway, mop up the points, get a few stages here and there. I think he'd been overtaken in the last few years. Uh, Mass, Alaphilippe, you know, there's Pino, a few more were, were kind of overtaking him. And I think I until this season, I thought his time was done. Um, Formolo, again, who was after getting a good few results as well, I thought he was one of these ones that a talent maybe hasn't applied himself correctly, maybe just didn't have the focus. I know he he, mm-hmm. he rode very well at Drop Pack, um, or Cannondale as it was, and he got the contract from there. And I thought, yeah, you know, look, look, kind of looks like, like a bit of a halfway house for for rogues, or you know, and I, I don't mean to be insulting the guys or anything like that, but you know, just I thought it was kind of like a bit of a kind of a last chance saloon for a lot of lads, and they've, I know a couple of them are in contract year and stuff like that, so they've they've got to deliver, but I think it's the kind of thing where they've kind of come to a team. They've taken a while to settle in, maybe six months more than what ex- what was expected, and now they've started delivering. Although Shackman is only he only came over this year and he's he's hitting the ground running, but I think he has a lot to learn, um, and I think he's got a, a lot to develop. And I think they could 
they they wouldn't go far wrong if they if if they bought Port mm-hmm. and brought him in just to as a kind of a, a an old experienced head for a few of the younger GC guys. Um, but then again, they then have Ackerman and yeah, and Saddam. Yeah, Ackerman is is one that he's. For me, he's a writer who's at a, a. I don't think he realizes, but I think he's at a fork in the road. I think he's been given the opportunity um, ahead of a proven talent, um, and I think he's dropped a ball on it. I Surely think... they're going to take Sam to the Giro now. No, I wouldn't say so. Oh. No, because I mean, I, I, I've watched none of the Tour of Turkey for some reason. I, I watched it. I think the first year it was on, and it's a race that's just never captured my imagination. And with so much racing on. I just thought, I'm not going to watch it. But I noticed that Sam's done really well there. Uh, and he's shown the kind of talent he's been. We've seen him beat the biggest guys last year, doing it again this year, because he's beaten folk who are good. You know, He's no winning against no hopers. Um, Ackerman, you understand they're a German company. Maybe they want to take him just for the kind of the national exposure, but it seems to me mad not to take Sam to the Giro because I mean the team will do well. We've got in the Tour of the Alps, Mike is actually starting to show some good form pre Giro. So after a disappointing spring with with Peter Sagan, no quite burning on all cylinders or firing on all cylinders, it seems just a, a silly thing to leave Sam at home. It does, but I think he, the team is one that makes a decision and that's it. I think that they they unless. Unless he had actually broken his arm in the Tour de Alps, I, I I don't think Sam is going to get the ride. I think that's that. Um, yeah, and he hasn't. He came on Instagram saying he had no broken bones. Yeah, um, yeah. I just I, just to come back to the the thing at the start. I think Ackerman just he he's he's been given an opportunity. I think he's I don't know has he dropped the ball or what or whether he thought he was better than what he is, but he hasn't he hasn't proved. First of all, when you're given an opportunity like this in any shape of life, whether it's a work opportunity, whether it's a sporting opportunity, the first thing you want to do is right. The, the, the opportunity is six months away, four months away, three months away. You'll work your arse off to prove that you're worth the chance. And mm-hmm. then when that chance opens up, right, I'm, I'm starting this new job in the, the, the 1st of June, or I'm starting this, the, the Giro on the 1st of, Ju- 1st of July or whatever else you're going to, you're going to try and be in the, the best do be skilled up enough, be prepared enough that you can do the job that you're after being given the chance for. And I think he hasn't looked like a guy who is putting in the hard yards that, that deserves that chance. And I don't think he's he's going to... With the way the Giro is, you know, there's talks of the states, a lot of sprinters going to be gone in the stage 12 and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. If he's going to get a, a full uh, Grand Tour into the legs, he's going to struggle. He's mm-hmm. he's gonna struggle and he's gonna be in a body bag, and you look at what happened with Sam on his first time when he crashed and he he had you know himself and uh, Archie Ball were in bother like and he, he struggled on for a long time with that but then mm-hmm. you know he, he need the, the development came on from the Giro for, or from doing the Grand Tours, and I I just don't think Ackerman has got himself has respected the chance he's been given, um and I don't I, I yeah I just don't think he's going to make the best of it. And mm. I, I don't know whether it's a, a German sprinter thing, what it is, I, I just don't know. And I suppose, look, people will say I have my green hat on and I have my, my sand glasses on and whatever else. If 
Sam was doing the same, I'd probably call him on it as well. Like, you know, I think he's done everything that's been asked of him this year of the team. He's gone to Tour of Turkey, took two stages, took the points. He's gone to Paris Nice, won two stages there, one stage in San Juan, one stage mm-hmm. in Dubai. You know, look, wherever he's been put, he, he's 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 done as he's asked and done it professionally and done it in the manner of the team and respected the team and doesn't piss and moan and doesn't do anything. Like, And I just going back to your thing about Tour of Turkey, one thing that I took away from it, it was absolutely fantastic to see uh, Shane Archibald back at the top level and second stage when they were going up and won the last climb to the, the, the finish. He was just, he did the Tim DeClerc role for Sam. He just, oh, he, he put on the pressure, turned on the, the heat, you know, just rolled that climb. Just perfect. kept the lid on it. Yeah, but just didn't, people accelerated and stuff like that and he just never, he never bobbed, weaved, anything like that. Just kept the you know the the pressure on and the back doors open and there was riders going out the back left right and centre but just kept such a beautifully smooth pace, uh, let it out perfectly and then you know gave gave the lads the the clear run for the end and it's stuff like that that goes unnoticed or unmissed by some people are but it's stuff like that that I take away from seeing that stage fantastic victory from Sam to see him sprinting away like that but just the work that uh, Archibald did there was fantastic and it was a great thing to see and it's a little nugget that you can always take away from this sort of stuff and um, I suppose the other thing to take away from it was Cav working uh, looking at, looking interested in sprints and doing sprints again which we haven't seen in a long time so maybe there's life in the old dog yet as well yeah, I, I was really pleased to see that because I, I genuinely thought we'd never see him need a finish line at the front again. Um, I was starting to lose any faith, and and maybe he's just starting to to fire now, and we'll see him perform in the you know the biggest events. Because let's face it, his team have been virtually invisible. They had three winners of the Amstel Gold in the team. Might as well not have been there. No, they've had a a very very poor start to the season, and um, you know even if we go back to last season, I think. Uh, was it Ben O'Connor and the Vuelta was their first first win mm. all, all season? Like they look like a team that are circling the drain. Absolutely, and you know if Corrand and Circus are looking for somebody you know to to eat up their contract, uh, dimension data would be high on my list. Now we've talked about Alaphilippe, we've talked about Matthew Van der Poel, we've talked in passing about Peter Sagan, are we finally seeing Valverde get old? I don't know. I don't. There's there's a couple of dynamics going on there. Uh, the talk is Landa has gone to Bahrain, and uh, nabali has gone to Trek Segafredo. Um, I just, I I don't know. I, I it's hard to it's hard to it's hard to fathom, isn't it? Mm. I, I he's right. I was amazed when he was just nowhere in flesh. I mean, when everybody started jumping, he just had no response. And yeah. I mean, that's virtually his race. Yeah. No. And it's not that he. Yeah. And same again. Amstel and. It's hard. It's hard to know. I, I think last year he, he may have over raced, and he he looked tired in the Vuelta. He looked he looked he looked ragged in the Vuelta, um, mm-hmm. and, and I was I was surprised at his world's win. But the world's win was a typical Valverde win. He won how he wins, um, you know. And yeah, I don't know what it is. Uh, there's talk I saw there today that he's overtrained and uh, kind of overcommitted with media commitments. Um, but uh, a which is the actual curse of the rainbow jersey? It is some yeah. mythical thing. It's the media commitments and stuff yeah. that affects your ability to get your condition right. But a man of his capacity, a man of his age, a man of his stature, overtraining doesn't sound like something he'd do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, unless he's unless he's overcompensating, you know, that he's missing two or three days and then he's he's overloading himself and stuff like that. But yeah, he looks like a man who just the the the, the kick, the spark, the the snap is gone out of him, and I just I don't know. It's like again, he's got enough class and enough racing brain to be there. Yeah, he just doesn't have the snap to finish it off. Yeah, and um, it's going to be interesting now to see where where movie star are um, when it comes to the Grand Tour season. You know, they're they're a team that have answers. That, that, I suspect the answer is nowhere, mate. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Like you know, um, I I think Landa is another one that's um, uh, an answer looking for a question, a question looking for an answer. I don't know what he is. You know, I think he jumped out of Sky a year too early, um, mm-hmm. and he jumped into a team that definitely wasn't going to do him any favors. Um, and he, he was jumping into a team that was going to do him the same role um, as he was at Sky. So I, I, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. The, the Grand Tours this year are going to be very, very interesting for me. Um, team Sky, actually. I mean, the, the Tour of the Alps. Um, the other one is Svitsov. They're a young guy who's currently in the leader's jersey. They're showing some real talent before the Grand Tours, but... I've actually got worries about both of their potential leaders. Yeah, uh, you know, no young Bernal. I think he'll he'll do really well. But Thomas, I'm still not sure if he's going to hit the target he needs to 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 repeat that brilliant performance of last year. And Froome, I mean, he still looks like an absolute bag of washing on a bike, and he doesn't look like he's where he should be in the Tour of the Alps. Although he looks better than he has. Um, so I think I've, I've got some worries about the top end of them, whereas the young guys are, are coming through and, and showing their talent. It's going to be interesting, actually, when they launch the team in Yorkshire, because apparently they're going to have thousands of anti-fracking protesters turn up to protest against their sponsor, Ineos. Yeah, and the thing we haven't mentioned as well is Rod Ellingworth is off to Bahrain Merida. Yeah, that's huge. It is, and uh, I was speaking with Daniel Freebay about this, or, um, and I, I kind of try to grasp what Rod does. Is he a coach? Is he a performance director? Because he, he, he kind of seems to do bits and pieces of everything. And he doesn't actually have a role there. He's kind of second in command to Dave Brailsford. So he does everything. So it's it's going to be it's going to be a hard sell to see who they're going to use to replace, who's, who's going to be replacing him. Whether it'll actually turn out to that, right, we need a performance director. We need two coaches and we need a team manager. So they, yeah. you know, it, his job becomes five jobs. Um, as, as sometimes happens in this sort of thing but yeah I, I also do wonder is he going to get gardening leave is he going to be put out before the Tour of France for instance now, it's an interesting thing I mean if he was an F1 he certainly would be yeah you know they, they'd bench him in F1 and you know damn the money just yeah. so that he didn't give away any of the you know secrets of the latest rear diffuser that they'd invented between races or something. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably less clear cut in cycling but that is a huge thing and you know particularly Going to Bahrain, if they can sort out their cash flow and throw the sort of money they were talking about at it, you've got to say Nibali might regret moving on well and worth going there. I think there's a very good chance that Grant Thomas could end up in that team uh, within the kind of reasonably near future as well. Yeah. Um, just to sort out the issues between him and him and Froome. No personal issues, they apparently get on extremely well. Just the fact that there's you know, two leaders in one team. Arguably three as young Bernal comes through and these young guys like Svitsov showing what they're made of. That could be a very, very busy top top level in that team. Yeah, it could very well be. And uh, look, I suppose, looking back at Ackerman, um, you know, look, one one wrong move in the Giro and Bernal could be on his arse, you know, 
broken shoulder. You know, look, things cycling is not as clear cut as we make out make it make it out to be. Um, you're looking change in any minute, in any stage mm-hmm. race, and I think anointing him as the next Grand Tour winner for the the next ten years is a bit premature. But I, I'm going to be interested. To see yeah, I did that Wilder. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where where he fits and how he how he fares out with this. You know the the Giro. Um, I would have thought. You know, uh, we mentioned this before that if Team Sky hadn't got a sponsor by this stage, would they have really kind of thrown their A team at the Giro to try and mop up a big win there and win well and do all sorts of stuff, or would they have pulled everyone and kind of put them into the Tour of France? Um, to you know, to get that extra win and in the Tour of France and seal that record there, and so. They can they can play the Giro a little bit cooler this time. They don't need to. They don't. They're not depending on it for for the sponsorship. Um. So it's going to be interesting to see how that one fares out, um. And who goes where and will the best team go to the Tour of France or will the best riders go to the Giro? Yeah, that's going to be interesting to see. Now you know I like to keep these to kind of forty minutes ish, and we're kicking on for that. So let let's finish off with a look forward to the weekend. Um, it's Liege Bastogne Liege. A lot of people are saying it's a new finish. For me, it looks far more like the finish before they introduced the, the climb to Ons in 1992. It's the finish I remember where, you know, the, the greats like Kelly and Roach and uh, Moreno Argentan and, and even Miguel Indurain on occasion actually used to come in for that finish down near the centre of the town. It makes it far harder to predict because if it, if the finish was still in Ons, I'd be saying, chuck your money on Julian Alaphilippe. But the finish with the kind of flatter run-in will make the climbs, I think, a bit more exciting because people will want to have a break before the final drag up to Ongs, which used to be, because they've now got a completely different finish. Um, and I think it increases the number of potential riders who can win. You know, slightly more classics guys as opposed to, you know, the Grand Tour-oriented guys for whom Liège has long been a favourite might get back on after the final climb, catch up in the running and then eat the, the, the skinny climbers for breakfast. I think it's going to be a good race. Yeah, I think so. And I suppose um, just going back to the Tour of Alps, uh, seeing Nibali and Theo Gagan hard sprinting together was like, I don't know, it was like seeing two, in, two stick in, insects sprinting. It just looked completely wrong to see two, yeah. cl- two skinny climbers sprinting like that. It's, it's going to be a balance of... Um, if you're a climber, do you do you get your teammates to set such a high pace that you 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 split the rule errors at the back? And if you split the rule errors at the back, how far are they back? And have they got teammates? And it, you know, looking back at Amstel, can they get back on? Who's there? Who's going to ride, etc. And you know, it's it does there there is that risk reward thing there, um, mm-hmm. and that's going to be very interesting. And you've got a lot of guys, you know, Dan Martin didn't finish, uh, didn't finish flesh. Um, yeah. Valverde's off form, you know, so there's, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of riders there that are kind of looking for a win that will need something. will try and perform in the day. I, think, I would have put my money on Sagan if he'd been informed this season. Yeah. You know, it's the kind of race that would have suited him to drag his carcass over the hills and then, you know, finish it off on the running. But as it stands, Valverde would have been my second pick. He looks points off. Um, so I, I mean, I genuinely don't know if he's going to win on Sunday. Um, Woods EF Trapak. That'd be good. That'd be a nice top and tail, wouldn't it? Mm. And I think they're 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 the only team this classic season that have delivered in the big races and have been. I know. Oh yeah, you might slag me for Alaphilippe winning 
and Gilbert winning, but I, I, I think they, they've they've rolled as a team and they've rolled well. I think um, I don't know if Quickstep Quickstep could pull off this. Um, they've got cards to play through. I mean, as ever, you know, they've they've got guys who could win, and not just the yeah. kind of the the big guys that you think of. A number of the kind of super domestics could win it in the day, but I think we're going to see a, a relatively small group come in. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll be afflicted with that flesh thing where everybody is so close. We have a massive bunch gallop in the middle of the age. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be a different one as well. I think it's going to be one where people are going to be trying to conserve a bit as well because it's a different finish and they probably haven't seen it in a while and all that sort of stuff. So they are going to be a little bit more conservative. But then again, you because everyone's going to, because everyone's going to be conservative, conservative. Someone's going to throw everything to the wind and give it give it a rattle. And that's what that's what we love about the sport, isn't it? It is absolutely, and uncertainty is good for us as fans, uh, which is why I kind of bored with flesh now to tell you the truth yeah um as we move on uh, it'll be a couple of weeks before you and i are back but if you got any more of your your ross stories to to put out in the interim yes um so i've recorded with um great irish man uh journalist ross Ryder, uh book author richard richard moore Who? Uh, uh, yeah, so here, here's here's the funny thing. Um, uh, we won't mention the 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 the, uh, the other podcast that these three guys work for, but Lionel, Daniel, and uh, Richard are all looking to claim Irish passports due to Brexit. Yeah, can't blame them. Uh, uh, my, my daughter's partner's Irish, or his dad's Irish, um, and you know that's that's a very good reason to stay with somebody. <laughs> I'm yeah. of the opinion of until Scotland's independent, but let's not even start the politics podcast. Just, but just just to go on from that, so I've got about half an hour recorded with Richard. Richard wrote the Ross twice uh, in support of Roddy Riddle one year and uh, kind of on his own merit the second year. Um, and he came back in the early 2000s to direct a, a Scottish team as well. Um, so a good few stories there. Um, yeah, a, long t- a long-term member of the City of Edinburgh Club, which was the kind of the dominant track club in Scotland based at Meadowbank. Uh, it was a good, a very good rider in his day, Richard. Yeah, very good. Um, I've also got um, Aaron Gate um, from Evo Pro Cycling lined up as well, and I'm hoping to line up Roddy Riddle as well. And I, I uh, the problem with these raw stories is every time I go talking to someone, have you talked to so and so? Have you talked to so and so? And I always get someone else to contact. And the, I suppose the only thing I wanted to try and record him for was posterity, and plus as well, kind of to give a little bit more of a flavour of. Uh, 80s racing, 90s racing, 00 racing, and why the Ross matters, not just nece- necessarily as a race, but as a bit of culture and a bit of history and everything else. And I, I, I hope people have enjoyed them, and I hope people get that out of them. Yeah, yeah I'm thoroughly enjoying them, so I'm looking forward to the one with Richard and the, the subsequent ones. Where can people find you on the internet, mate? Um, they can find me hanging around Twitter, mainly at Flamcast, um, and occasionally um, I, I, I poke my head into Facebook, but not that, that very often. Before we go, and before we get your contact details and everything else, uh, going back to the very, very start in Amstel, and people were raving about it being the best race of all time, pick your top five single-day races. Oh, God. Uh, Gilbert Duclos-Lasalle winning Paris-Roubaix for the first time. Yep. Uh, Kelly catching Argentine in Milan-San Remo. Yep. Uh, for entertainment and looking back with a wry smile, uh, the Gavis trio absolutely wiping the floor with their EPO fuel performances at Flesh Malone. Yep. Uh, oh, God, how many is that? That's three. Uh 
that's that's a difficult question. I've got I've got probably Sagan's win, uh, where he just beat Christoph for his last world. It's up there because he was invisible all day, day for a, and it was did, a good race and it was a perfect example of Sagan's racecraft. But then going back, I remember seeing kind of grainy snippets of like Fignon winning Milan San Remo. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cancellara winning actually for a race that's relatively dull. Quite a few of them are Milan San Remo because that drama of the podio is fantastic. It is. Um, and Mo- Roubaix, the Mappy dominance was fantastic to watch Andrea Taffy winning it. We could be here all night when you're listing them. I, t- I, can, I can't have a top five. My favourite, though, is... Oh, God. Is probably Kelly's win at Milan San Remo. Yeah, um, I would have Kelly's win at Milan San Remo for a couple of things. One, the descent. After the descent, the sheer balls of the man to pull out from Argentine and give him the look back, and let him, he was on Argentine's wheel, just he moved out enough, so Argentine could look back, and see the group chasing him down, and getting getting close on close on, on Via Roma, and Kelly just didn't panic, just to have the wherewithal, to still do that, is he panicked Argentine, into leading them out, fantastic, um, I'd also add, two Roubaix's, um, well Roubaix's that I didn't see, I mean I, the, all I saw were stills of Kelly yeah. mud encrusted in his skill jersey. Um, I'd I mean, had the Heyman win mm-hmm. um, because just it just encapsulates Roubaix, you know, as 15 or 16 year veteran um, in the break all day, beating the man going for five Roubaix's. Um, it just, it's, it's, uh, God, I, I'd forgotten about Boonin. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's loads of Boonins in there as well. And the other, the other Roubaix I'll go for is the the one that Boonin won, the last one he won, where he rolled everything off his wheel. Um, did, what did he go with? 50 or 60k to go? Yeah. He, do, uh, do you remember Boonin though riding for George Hincapie in his first Ruby? Yes. Jesus. Um, so that's Milan, Boonin, uh, Heyman. Um, I will also go for... I had these picked out the other day. I'd have to, I'd have to seriously think about it. Yeah, let's on. do that for the next show. Actually, no, give me give me two seconds. Let me gather my thoughts on this one. I had two more. I was probably thinking about uh, Roach and Villac, mm-hmm. just because. Um, but uh, Eno's win at Ruby. Yeah, fell off all the time. He kept getting back to the group in the World Champions jersey, and you know every time that we. I didn't watch that live at the time because it was much harder to follow racing at that point. But if you look at the YouTube video, the look on the people in the break's face when Eno appears again. Eno's winning Liège-Bastogne-Liège in the snow. Yeah, my Liège-Bastogne-Liège would be, um, and it's just because it's kind of like your 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 Mappe Guiz thing. Uh, VDB winning Liège-Bastogne-Liège just because it was it wasn't even peak EPO and. He told everyone. Well, where he went on San Nicholas, and they yeah. just time trial the way to the finish, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, and had told everyone beforehand, "I'm going on San Nicholas," and <laughs> I'm going. And just, it, it just, I suppose it's it's one of those ones where you just, it's unbelievable because it is unbelievable, but it still wasn't even peak EPO. Yeah. And um, I'll tr- I'll throw in the fifth one as uh, Sagan's first Worlds win, Sagan at Richmond, where he attacked and went away and won on his own. My favourite bit of that actually was Boonin you know, congratulating him afterwards. Yeah, just that was just pure class. Just him standing there, he'd thrown away the bike, he'd thrown away the helmet, he'd thrown away the glasses, and he was just high fiving people as they came in. Like, yeah, no, it was absolutely brilliant. 
Uh, 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 you've got me thinking now. I'm all excited. I'll have to calm down. And it's the middle of the bloody night. Um, you can contact me uh, at, at VelocastJohn. Uh, on Twitter. Uh, my day job is still talking about cycling. Uh, that's velocast.cc. You can go there and subscribe. And if you go to shop.velocast.cc, we're selling, and we'll carry on selling because it's it's going very, very well. Uh, the Monsters of Rock t-shirt that you designed and, you know, Scott tarted up a wee bit. Um, it's really nice design, which is reminiscent of the, the cobble classics that are now sadly behind us, my favourite bit of the year. Um, Derek's got some of his Ross stories coming up, but he and I will be back certainly before the Giro, I would imagine. Yes, um, definitely. You know, I would guess two weeks from now we'll be back because uh, we're, we're reasonably regular with these now. But meanwhile, it's a long one for us. And thanks for listening to the Flamcast. Talk to you in a fortnight, Derek.